0: Love the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. A holiday break is always a good time for a minister, mind you, for every office bearer to reflect on his task. As office bearers, we are called to instruct and encourage the members in the pews and at home to delight in the Lord, particularly in the worship service, the public worship service where our knowledge of God becomes clearer, better, and richer. We are called to grow in knowing God better, in order to worship God better. He's our highest God, the sum of all that is good, which Christ purchased for us on the cross. And so the task of the preacher and the elder is ever to teach, to help, and to encourage each member to know and to love God in a better, clearer, and a more informed way. We are to cultivate worshipers in spirit and truth, John 4:24), the very kind God seeks. In congregation, for this purpose, we are not only to instruct members in the teachings of Christ on the law of God. That's often the easiest way, just tell them what to do. But we are also to speak more about His person. Getting to know our God more personally brings joy and satisfaction, renewed appreciation for Him. And the Bible Bible not only displays to us God's virtues, so we can know Him more personally, but also uses different metaphors, comparisons, to describe God's person. In Hebrews 1.10, for example, God is referred to as an, as an architect or as, an, as a builder. In John 15 verse 1, the Lord is called a vine dresser. In Ezekiel 22 verse 18-22, the Lord takes the position of a silversmith. And there are many more occupations like shepherd and king and judge and lawyer and doctor and trader and, and artist, etc., Link to the Lord to explain who He is and, and how He works. Now, In our text, we find another one. There, Paul uses the metaphor of a, of a potter, someone who uses clay to shape all kinds of useful vessels. Where Paul then wants to show us that God uses the clay in a just and a sovereign way. And so I preach you the gospel as we search to understand God's person better under the theme, Our God is a just potter. Our God is a just potter. We look at two points. First, the sovereignty of the potter and second, the response of the clay. Children, do you like playing with with clay? I guess most of you like to play with clay but the the clay the kind of clay the potter is using here in 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 our text is not the kind of clay that you played with or had in kindy you're rather it's rather kind that you find here in the hills in in the ground or, or close to to rivers it's a kind of moisture mixed with with um, or dust, ground, mixed with, with moisture, with water. And, and uh, this clay will be collected, prepared, purified, and then the potter will use it to make all kinds of containers. Also in Paul's days, you couldn't do with without a variety of containers. You know, today we have plastic milk and, and water jugs and glass jars and and plastic containers of all kinds, even canvas bags, because plastic bags are out now. But in biblical times, most containers, and particularly jars and cups, were made of clay. At the local pottery, you could buy pots and jars of all kinds and sizes. Some were fancy, some were common, as Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 2 verse 20. But they were all made of the same material, Clay and water. So it's not a wonder that the potter clay image shows up so frequently in scripture, beginning in in Genesis two, verse seven, where God formed man from the dust, from the clay, so to speak, of the ground. Adam was the very first example of God's skill as a divine potter. Later, amidst his agony, Job reminded God that he had molded Job like clay. And then Job asked, why would God now destroy what he has made? Job 10, verse 8 to 9. And then centuries later, Isaiah uses the relationship between the potter and the clay when he rebuked Israel for thinking that they, as clay, they think they know more than God, who is the potter. Isaiah twenty-nine sixteen and 45, verse 9. This image is also portrayed in Jeremiah 18, verse 2, where the prophet is commissioned by God to go to the potter's workshop and observe and learn and prophesy from that. And so later, when we walk with Paul to, uh, into a Roman's potter shop, then we understand better why... The Lord God, as it were, puts on the potter's working clothes. Paul used the Testament reference in defending God's right to elect whom he will to salvation, with the pot not having the right to, to challenge the potter's work. But just like a potter, according to his own judgment and discretion, makes different utensils from clay with his hands, so God does that with people. One is made to a blessing, the other created to his downfall. My beloved Paul also knows that many people don't accept the implications of this metaphor. They ask, is God not discriminating in this way when he makes one object for honor and another for dishonor? How can God be gracious to one person and harden the heart of another? That's not fair. And one critical author once wrote about God. Already in the, on the first page of the Bible, God discriminating, discriminated by making a woman as a subordinate help for the man. And, and throughout the Bible, a woman is presented as a property equal to slaves or the cattle over which man is is in charge. And, And in Genesis 4, God discriminates again by accepting Abel's sacrifice above that of Cain, without any reason to do so, resulting in the first biblical murder. And then he drowns all mankind, apart from the family of Noah, just because Noah would have been the last just man on earth. As if there was nothing good left in society besides bad people. And then for no specific reason, God makes a special covenant with Abram and promises that His children will possess all the land from Egypt to the Euphrates. And the fact that other nations already live there seems to be of no importance to God. He will simply have to have them cleaned up later by His people Israel. And this is unfair, says the author, And it's again confirmed by Paul in Romans 9, 13, when he quotes from Malachi 1, 2, and 3, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And in verse 22 and 23, God randomly prepares certain vessels for honor and others for wrath, like Pharaoh prepared for destruction. And then the author asks, would you then not rather expect a certain level of impartiality? By an almighty God, Who created the universe with abundant amount of resources and possibilities? But he says, the biblical God seems to be the opposite. He randomly chooses certain individuals and randomly reprobates others. That's how this critical author concludes his view on God. Uh, You and I, brothers and sisters we can be upset with such a critical view on God and even reckon it to be blasphemous. But beloved, aren't we too deep in our critical hearts, not somewhat in agreement with this critical author? Of course, we never dare to say this all out. But is God not indeed making distinctions where there is no difference throughout the Bible? It comes down to discrimination in the end, right? Well, beloved, we must be careful here. Because what is discrimination? For us people, discrimination is is unequal treatment based on characteristics that, that do not matter. For example, you, you can rightly say um, you or you, you, you don 't have a, a truck driver 's license, so you cannot drive a truck, but you can 't say, uh, "Yes, you are a woman, and because you 're a woman you can 't drive a truck to us, this is discrimination, treatment based on characteristics that doesn 't matter but Is this what God does in the Bible and is doing in the Bible? Is that unequal treatment based on characteristics that doesn't matter? Well, if you think so, you don't know God. What you rather find again and again in the Bible and Scripture is unequal treatment without the characteristics of people playing a role. And let's let's just keep it to Romans 9. God distinguishes between the Israelites, all who are biological descendants of Abram. And God does that right from the beginning. Already, before they were born, God distinguishes between Jacob and Esau, the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. God distinguishes within the one lump of clay. And just like a potter, he decides that he will make. A pot from the one half of the clay and the vase from the other half of the lump of clay. And already here, our our critical heart has a problem with that. We don't think it's fair. Yet, beloved, it is clear that there's more to it than that that God discriminates, He does not distinguish uh, based on. On characteristics or quality of people, it simply makes a divine decision. Also, with Jacob and Esau, they weren't even born when God decided, and He revealed that to Rebecca: "I've decided the older shall serve the younger." And now, Paul. Now, text says if this way of deciding is normal for a human potter. Why do we question God on his decisions? And because he made his decision known to Isaac and Rebekah, they should have simply submitted themselves to it and taught the twins accordingly. Esau, Esau, therefore, should have submitted himself to Jacob for God's goodwill sake. For the sake of God's covenantal choice. From the beginning, he should have passed on the firstborn right to Jacob instead of selling it for a bowl of soup. And when, when Isaac sent Esau to a hunt game and prepare for him a meal to receive the blessing, Esau should have corrected his father and sent Jacob to receive the blessing. And in this, honor God's choice. But Esau didn't. And therefore, God despised Esau. And besides that, says Paul, even though I'm, so to speak, putting God in the potter's cloak, don't forget that God, represent, that um, the God represented to us in the Bible, is not a sinful human being. He's really a person of his own. He's someone other than us. Someone with divine thoughts and considerations. Someone who is in full right to go his own divine way. No, not in a discriminating way as someone who just does what he wants without ever taking anything or anyone in consideration. On the contrary, as a God of the covenant, he spoke to people right from the beginning. He involves people in his own way, and he also engage with people. And yet, God does not depend on anyone and anything when he makes his own choices. He will not be molded, let alone locked up in our human mindset. He's also someone who, who contradicts us. And who can simply say, this is what I want to do. And this is the way I want to do it. Beloved, when you respect God for this, even though you may not always comprehend His ways, then you know being a sovereign divine God, our God does not make any mistakes in whatever decision He makes. He is always fair in every choice, every decision He makes as well as in, in the way He unfolds His plans. I'm rather safe with Him than sorry for not respecting Him. And beloved, this, this is one of the greatest powers of God, that He is completely unique. My ways are not your ways, He says to His people. My thoughts are, are different from those of mankind. He is not... As honest as he could be, like we try to be, he always reacts perfectly. And if that works on our nerves, well, then too bad for our nerves. Don't forget, he is the potter. He is the creator. And also when it comes to salvation, when he decides to promise a Savior to, to fix the problems that we have caused, he had all the right to do so. And when, when, when he decided to, to choose Abram for his pur- purpose, and that all the families of the earth are blessed in Abram's descendant, he had all the right to do so. And when he decided to walk a purposeful way with one people, with Israel, he had all the right to shape the clay in this way. I mean, God chose the crucifixion of his son Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation for all people. He had all the right to do so as a potter. For God has appeared in him, Christ, who is above all our Lord. And therefore, says the Bible, he ought to be praised. We need to praise God for all eternity. This is our God. And now for the second point the response of the clay. in your life, brothers and sisters, you are dealing with a, a just and a merciful and a sovereign God. He's not vague, but He addresses every person in an understandable language. In fact, He has revealed Himself to people. Paul said earlier in Romans 1 verse 21 to 20, 20 to 21, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as it Eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, everyone, no one has just got an excuse. Yes, He decided to reveal Himself more specifically in His Son, Jesus Christ. But really, no one has got an excuse not to be, aware of, to be aware of God's presence. Maybe you will ask now, okay, but why did God then speak to me? Why did He come to you, us with the gospel and not, for example, to this peasant girl in this Hindu village somewhere in North India? Well, we don't know. As the divine potter he has all the right to decide to do so doesn't mean that that god made certain vessels only just to throw them on the ground but he is merciful to whom he wants and he has compassion who over whoever he wants on whoever he wants he can save People from the eternal death that they have plunged themselves in, if he wants. But the Lord can also despise objects who kindle his anger. In this we see the response of the clay. Yes, he's the potter, but what's, how does the clay react? And in verse 17 of our text, Paul uses Pharaoh in Moses' time as an example. Although Pharaoh was raised up by God to show his power in Pharaoh and that God's name be declared on all the earth, Pharaoh disobeyed and resisted God by not letting God's people Israel go. Pharaoh was fully aware that he provoked God's anger, which gave God all the right, all the reason to despise him. And the same with the Jewish resistance against Jesus and and later against Paul the Jews also provoked God's anger. That's what Paul's saying in our text. Although still God's people in name, although called by Jesus Christ himself, only a handful remnant, handful remained God's true people in that they accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But most, Paul says, most rejected Jesus and the other apostles. Is it then not to God to decide who you will accept and who to reject, especially those who despise him. And congregation today continues with that work, that work of calling. And not only through the mission um, preaching in Lay, in Cain's, and, and elsewhere, but also every week here in this church. Which means... God's saving love comes first. Our salvation comes, from, comes forth from God's mercy, from His will to save us, to call us in His love. And how amazing is it, is God's patience with people, with us. He still grants us time for repentance. And He repeatedly warns them not to reject his love in christ and those who do not want to listen who reject his love they will be objects of his anger if not in this life then in the reality after this life he he who continues to oppose god will find that god would not allow himself to be mocked. And one can then ask, is God then not discriminating when he does this? No. In Jeremiah 18, God clarifies his sovereign choices. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon him. Our critical heart would think God just does what he wants. He always carries out his plan. But no. He rejoices when people, when the clay, so to speak, repents. He relents. He, return, he turns away from punishment. Just think of Nineveh who responded, Positive to Jonah's call. Come to repentance. But congregation, God continues in Jeremiah 18, verse 9. And the instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if he does evil in my sight so that he does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. And this is also Jeremiah's warning to the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. What do we conclude here then is that it does matter how the clay responds. It does matter what you do, what your attitude is. Are you going along the way that God is going? Or do you reject him by following your own ways? Beloved, God has shaped us to be beautiful, useful vessels in His house. But are you that too? Are you behaving like that? And I, I know the clay can't really resist the hand of the potter. Paul's metaphor doesn't explain everything. But with Jeremiah, it appears God calls people to repent. And Israel often behaved unworthily of its election, especially when they murdered the Messiah. And yet, the covenant continued to exist through God's mercy and patience because God wanted to reach His goal. And one can now understand why Paul quotes from Hosea 2 and from Isaiah 10 and 13. Because if the Lord had not allowed for a handful of Jews to believe in Christ, God's complete people Israel would have been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's only by God's grace that there's still a future for Israel and for us. And let us also then learn from that. Do not resist God like Pharaoh. But respond faithfully to His ongoing calling in the preaching. Remove the thoughts from your heart that accuse God of discrimination. And remind yourself of His undeserved love, compassion, and mercy for you, that He chose to save you, and that there is salvation not only for the Jews, but also for non Jews for us. And let us, brothers and sisters, thank God for so much grace. That you and I, we may be His children. That's not of our own merit. Jesus' sacrifice was needed for, us, for this. And never forget, we were the unloved and could become God's beloved. But it also then means that when, when someone comes to faith, let's not be, be jealous or, or suspicious. But be glad, like the angels in heaven, that the potter has shaped him or her to respond positively and in faith to the gospel. And when someone else in the congregation seems to have a stronger faith than you, don't think, I wish I had the same faith as he or she. I wish I was just as a joyful believer than him or her. And of course you would... Rather be a beautiful vase than an everyday jug. Someone who is an office bearer or chairing a committee. Rather be someone who has a stable household or a good marriage. But the great potter shows, be content with what you have. Be glad with the way I've shaped you and the way I love you. And open your heart to my Son, Jesus Christ. Congregation, we can conclude God yes, He distinguishes between people. Just like a real potter decides what to fabricate from different lumps of clay, yet whoever acknowledges his own sinfulness and weaknesses, he learns to say, It is good that God distinguishes and chooses according to his own will. Then people like me are saved. God is gracious full of mercy, yes, according to his will, and yet he will have mercy and compassion on whoever he will have mercy and compassion. By this we as clay may live and serve. Wonderful it is indeed to be shaped by the gracious hands of the great potter, this He's our God. Amen.